The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Well, if you're new this morning or newer uh, to Holy Cross, we've been going through the book of Acts. We find ourselves now in, in Acts chapter 4. The book of Acts, remember, is the recorded firsthand experience of the first Christians sharing their faith and telling people about Jesus. And just as Jesus told them to do after he rose from the dead, he said, you'll be my witnesses here and, and, and far of all that I have done and accomplished. He told them to go throughout the world and tell people about him. And Acts is exactly what they responded, how they responded. They go and they tell people about Jesus. And in the early chapters of Acts, we see so many first-time things. They received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for the first time. We see the first recorded miracle. We see the first sermon given from Peter. And we now see the first community of the church and what they spend time doing. And here we see the first opposition, the first persecution in Acts chapter 4, another side of the story. And though many, even thousands, have come to believe in Jesus, we see now 5,000 men, and if you include women and children, we see that the crowd is enormous. It has grown so much from that original 120 people that were gathered the day of Pentecost. It is here we see the first sign of strong opposition to the message of Jesus and what they do in response to it. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed to defend your faith, where you needed to defend even the value of Christianity or the value of your beliefs or what it meant to, to follow Jesus? Have you ever had to lay out your argument and you, you leave that situation or that conversation and you felt like you did a pretty good job. You felt like you won the conversation. You said what needed to be said. You gave a good answer to why you believe what you believe. But you had this feeling inside of you that even though you felt that you were true to your claims and had integrity in your, in your argument, you felt that you, you, that might be the last time you ever speak to that person because they might not speak to you again. You felt that you may have burned a bridge or ruined the relationship, even though you made a good argument. Or consider the other side of it. Consider the opposite scenario. You left a conversation feeling very good about the bridges that have been built. You felt very good about the relationships that are being made and maybe people that you were very different from. You start to see a spark of friendship happening, and you're excited to God that you might see more and more opportunity to have real friendship and relationship with this person who doesn't know Jesus. However, as you were leaving this time, you felt convicted that maybe you did not speak about Christ in a way that was full of integrity. Maybe you didn't speak of Christ at all. Maybe you totally dodged all that because you were afraid of what they might think. And these are really a couple of the challenges that Christians face every time we are in a situation needing to bear witness of our faith. We're in a situation needing to defend our faith or we're needing to challenge or encourage others. The challenge of being a witness to our faith full of integrity on one hand and being attractive and winsome on the other hand. Those are a couple of the challenges that you and I face if you're a Christian. Consider the last time you had what you thought the courage to engage in defending your faith or biblical values on social media and you press enter and you think, that's it. That's the right answer. I did everything right. But then all of a sudden you realize, I don't think I want anything there. I don't think anyone is going to change. If anything, I might have pushed people further away because of what I did. 
Well, I'm going to give you today from God's Word, what we're going to see today is how to defend your faith with integrity without, with, while having courage, without losing courage, without losing integrity, or without losing the attractiveness of the gospel. And this passage may not help us really well to, to figure out how to repair uh, past conversations, but it's, I hope that it will help us prepare for, for future conversations that God provides for us. After all, this teaching series about being a faithful witness to the goodness of the grace of God in our lives. And so first, two quick observations about this passage and then some, some help for us for how to be full of integrity in our witness without losing the attractiveness of the gospel. First one, opposition to the Christian witness is an, an, an inevitable element of genuine Christian faith. If people ridicule you, if they ridicule you for what you believe and what Christianity stands for or even hates your claims, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with your message. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with Jesus or with the Bible. This came, in, uh, this came to no surprise from the disciples as they shared their faith and, and stood on the claims of Christ. It came to no surprise when they were persecuted. As Jesus told them this was going to happen, Jesus told them, the world will hate you because of me. They will hate you because of what you teach because of what I have taught you. Jesus tells them in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it has first hated me, and a servant is not greater than his master. This is being played out between the, the leaders that have gathered here on this day where they have, they have brought Peter and John, and they have brought them forward to give an account of why they're teaching. They're kind of putting them on trial. And both oppose the message of the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, these two main groups. Both, both people oppose the gospel message. The Sadducees hated it because they felt it was bad for public peace. They thought it was too religious. It was, it was divisive. It stirred up controversy. And, and they just wanted people to be happy and calm. They wanted to keep the peace in the, in the church. And because this was stirring up division, they said, this is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because there's people disagreeing. And if people are disagreeing, then this can't be good. The Pharisees hated them for different reasons. They thought that they were being heretical. They hated the message themselves. They denied that Jesus was God's solutions to all of our problems, and so they hated the message. There will be people who disagree with you for different reasons. One, because they believe that you're wrong. Another, because they, they don't want you to just stir the pot and stir up controversy. Just keep the peace and let's try to make sure everyone is feeling good and happy and comfortable. If you if you've never been hated because of your Christian witness, it's likely you've never stood up for anything that Jesus has said. The truth is, is that the, when we are a faithful in our Christian witness, people will hate that message. Have you ever taken it on the chin for Jesus? Have you ever stood up for something Jesus has said and people have hated you for it? If the answer is never, it's likely you've never stood up for what Jesus has said. Another observation important as, as this first one is this one. Even, even though the early church was hated and attacked, they were also attractive and growing. Even though they had opposition and they were persecuted, they were also, they were also very attractive to outside people, and they were growing, and people were, feeling, were, were uh, being a part of their fellowship and joining their church. The description of opposition must be put alongside Acts chapter 2, 47, and 4, 22, which tells us all people 
were praising God for what they were saying and what happened. Many heard the message and believed. In other words, what was happening in this early church was they were experiencing both sharp opposition and enjoying incredible popularity among outside people. They were attractive and growing. They were hated and attacked. We see how important this element is in the church when the Apostle Paul even writes to the church and says, one of the requirements for your pastors is this. They should be thought well of by outside people. They should be not only full of integrity and courage and character, but non-Christians should look at their lives and find something incredibly attractive about it. And so this speaks to us in a couple ways. On the one hand, we experience, if we experience no attacks or persecution for our faith, it means that we are being cowards. If no one has ever hated you because of Jesus, then it means that we're being cowards. We're not taking risks in our witness. We're not being bold. We're not being faithful to do as Christ has told us to do, which is to be a faithful witness. On the other hand, if we have lots of disagreements and no affirmation, it means that we're being persecuted, not because of Jesus, because we are, you're just a jerk. <laughs> if, if, if everyone disagrees with you, no one wants to be around you, and you're saying, well, Jesus said this was going to happen. Well, kind of, he did, but you might be being oppressed because you're not a very nice person. It was very normal for Christians in the New Testament to be persecuted and praised, to be followed and to reject it, to be rejected, because this is what happened to Jesus. Both things happened. And we will know that we're being a faithful witness to Christ when both of those things are happening to us, when we're hated and attacked, and also when we are praised and encouraged. Here is what Pastor Tim Keller says about this. He says, insensitive, harsh Christians will be attacked but not praised. Cowardly Christians will be praised but not attacked. Most Christians whose walk with God is weak actually get neither. But Christians who are the closest to Jesus will get both, as he did. So being a faithful witness is a combination of courage on one hand and attractiveness on the other. Just looking at those two observations, just look at your heart, look at your life. Look at where, where God may be encouraging you today and, and move, moving in your life today. Where can you grow in that? Do an assessment of your life. Do you find the majority of your time from outside people just a lot of disagreement? Or do you see just a lot of praise? And look at that and say, is it because I'm not being courageous? Is it because I'm not being attractive and winsome? Am I not being sensitive and compassionate? to others. So how do we do this? How do we balance, how do we, how do we live faithful lives? On the one hand, we are being bold and full of integrity, and the other hand, we are being attractive and compassionate. I'm just going to give you a few, and I probably won't answer all your questions, but let me point you to this passage and what we learn in here today, and hopefully it'll encourage you. The first thing that you can do is spend more time remembering that your salvation, just like everyone else's, is never earned. The more you know this, the more you remember this, the more you, you let the truth of the gospel of grace dig deep into your being, it will produce boldness in your witness. Here's how. Look at this situation with Peter and John. Do you get the picture of this assembly? 
a sophisticated crowd of high authority, temple judges, temple police, judges, lawyers, politicians, all the top officials in Jerusalem have been gathered. And before them is these uneducated, poor, and unsophisticated fishermen, Peter and John. And this poor crippled man who has been healed now standing with them. And they ask them, by what power and authority do you do these things? And they've heard this question before, the disciples, as they hear these judges and leaders ask the question, by what authority do you teach these things? They remember it. It was said of Jesus the night before he was killed. And they now have brought them before, they've been brought before these leaders in the same fashion. And the same question is asked. It is a subtle question, but it is a deadly trap. Most of us would be absolutely paralyzed in that situation. All of the powerful people in this community that could lock you up forever or execute you by capital punishment have gathered in a room and there you are. And they're asking you, defend yourself. Most of us would be paralyzed, scared to death. But what does Peter do? He boldly proclaimed the unique confidence that is only found in Jesus. Peter says, the stone that you rejected has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. Everyone has a foundation on which their life rests. Everyone has a cornerstone. Everyone has something or someone that gives them identity and comfort and meaning in life. Everyone stands on something that gives them security to let them know that they're okay in their life. Is it your education? Is it your family? Is it your career? Is it what other people might think of you? What is it that you have in your life that you need to make you feel like a whole and complete and secure person? These things, as many others, have the ability to become the merits to which we trust our whole life. If your education is your cornerstone and your Christian witness puts you in danger of having to sacrifice your education, you're going to be hesitant to be bold. If your career is your cornerstone and the meaning of your life, and being a bold witness to your faith puts in danger your career advancement, if it puts in danger your opportunity for promotion, maybe, maybe your boldness will give the promotion to somebody else and it'll pass you by. If those things are true, then you're going to be more hesitant to be bold about your faith because you don't want to lose those things. If your friendships are your cornerstone and the thing that gives you true meaning in life, you're going to be hesitant to be bold with someone who disagrees with you out of fear that that person is going to reject you, leave you, betray you, or maybe not be your friend anymore. You tiptoe around hard topics. You tiptoe around your Christian identity because you think, well, what are they going to think of me if they find out that I believe that the only way to be saved is through faith in Jesus? Can I say that out loud? This is why the world hates Christians. Isn't that true? Christi people hate Christians. Let me give you a top ten reasons, okay? No, I'm just one. People hate Christians because they say things like Peter. There's no other way to be saved 
than through Jesus. Because Christians are so sure of what they have. This is why the world hates Christians. Are we afraid? If you're a Christian, are you afraid to be as bold as Peter, to, to believe that, to claim that, and when given the opportunity to communicate that out of fear of what you might lose? Well, then that's your cornerstone. That's your meaning in life. Whatever you're afraid of losing, that's what you rest in for your ultimate security. And the thought of losing that would make you feel so insecure that you cannot bring yourself to do it. Do you want to know what your cornerstone is in life? Think back to the last time you were greatly annoyed. Like these leaders, they were greatly annoyed. I love this biblically uh, you know, sophisticated phrase in Scripture, right? They were greatly annoyed. Think back to the last time you were greatly annoyed. The result, it was the result of something that you cared so, so much about that was being threatened or taken away, and you just could not take it. You could not handle it. And you became greatly annoyed. Your peace and quiet. If that's threatened and taken away, you're greatly annoyed. Your, your new shoes that were just scuffed by somebody walking by, you know, that's your cornerstone. Oh, I just got these. These are so important to me. I am greatly annoyed. You're, when was the last time you were greatly annoyed? When your doctrine was threatened, when someone disagreed with what you believed. I'm so greatly annoyed that this person believes this and not what I believed. This person, what's wrong with that person? What's wrong with them? That's what it looks like to be greatly annoyed. Whatever, you're, whatever it was that made you so greatly annoyed, it is that thing, at least in that moment, that you care ultimately about. Do you know that your doctrine didn't save you? Do you know that the only perfect righteousness of Jesus saves us? You know, I guess that is a doctrine, but it wasn't your brilliance of receiving this truth that saved you. The Bible tells us that we are saved by faith, but also that even our understanding and ability to have faith is a gift given to us from God. So even our doctrine, even our true things about the Bible that we trust in is a gift from God. We don't even get to be arrogant about that. It's a gift. We tend to be cowards in our faith, not because we lack information, but because we lack a confidence that happens, that is, that, that is the overflow of trusting in Jesus and His grace for our salvation. We lack an ultimate security that comes from believing in Christ alone for our salvation and forsaking all merits of our own for being loved by God. We lack courage not because we haven't been to an evangelism class. We lack courage because we lack a confidence that no matter what happens in our life, we're still going to be okay. Why did Peter and John have this confidence to stand before these people who had the authority and power to kill them and say, Jesus is the only way? It's because they knew even if their life was taken away, they were still okay. Because Jesus was all that they needed. And if everything was taken from their life, they still had everything. They had Christ. 
This passage tells us that the religious leaders were so greatly annoyed because the apostles were teaching. They were teaching a message that challenged their way of life as they knew it. And they were uncredentialed, they were unlearned, they were unsophisticated, they were uneducated. The gospel is opposed to a meritorious way of life. The gospel is opposed to that when you are trained well and when you earn, a good, earn your way to God and you do good things, God loves you. And here they have spent their entire lives, these religious leaders, credentialing themselves, memorizing scripture, building, uh, climbing the corporate ladder, so to speak. And here they have the whole city is following these men who have nothing, who are uneducated, and they are so annoyed by it because it is turning on its head everything that they have trusted in. What gave Peter the confidence to look at these people in the eye and say Jesus is the only way to be saved? It was because his life stood on the unshakable rock of Christ's love for him. Peter Cartwright was this uh, traveling evangelist. He was this traveling pe- preacher in the early 1800s. And crowds came over from from all over the country to hear Peter Cartwright preach. And one day, one Sunday morning, when he was scheduled to preach, a huge crowd gathered, and his his deacons came to him and said, We just wanna we want you to be aware of, of a member in the audience. It's President Andrew Jackson. And we're telling you that because we know that every Sunday you, you you're not afraid of anything. You say your mind, you, you preach your mind, and you, and you say things with great boldness, but could you just bring it down a bit because we don't want Andrew Jackson to, to be upset. We don't want to offend the President of the United States. And so Peter Cartwright gets up to preach, and he addresses the congregation, and he said, I understand that President Andrew Jackson is here, and I've been requested to be guarded in my remarks. And so I want to tell you this. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't believe in Jesus. <laughs> this is what he said. It's, it's well documented. <clears throat> the audience was shocked, of course. They were in disbelief, and they wondered how the president would respond. They were terrified to lose favor from the president. And so when seeking the president's uh, feedback and wondering how he was doing, This is how he responded after the service. He said, God's men must love everyone and be afraid of no one. He said, I wish I had a thousand men like you. What an amazing thing. Seeing this boldness, this integrity of his message, he said, if I had a regiment of a thousand men, I could change the world with you. We are to love all people, and we are to be afraid of no people. And Peter and John stand before these men who we would be afraid of, and they were able to tell the truth with integrity, without, without losing courage, and without, also without losing their, their love for God and love for others. This is how the early church, too, responded to opposition, with, with beautiful courage fueled by a salvation that could never be lost no matter what happened to them. The absence of boldness is the result of a preoccupation with ourselves. It is a result of an insecurity that is motivated by a fear of losing things in our life that we care way too much about. 
Are you afraid of talking to people about the way that God has shown himself in your life? Are you afraid of taking the initiative with opportunities God's put before you to, to teach the truth and to encourage people and to share your faith? It is not because you are uneducated in the ways of doing that. It is because you're thinking way too much about yourself. It is because you care way too much about things that aren't important in your life. Peter and John had boldness, courage to boldly proclaim our faith that is not a result of a can-do attitude, but a result of an inward working of the gospel in our lives, reaching deep down into our soul and convincing us that we are secure in the love of God, not because of anything we have done. You know, this is a good message for us as we, if we are scared to proclaim with boldness and integrity the way that God has changed our life. It's also something good for you to hear if you are not a Christian this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you would take the chance. Either maybe you've been away from the church for a long time and, and you're coming back to give it another shot. Or maybe this is your first time to kind of learn about what it means to be a Christian. There's such good news here that Jesus is the only way to be saved. And apart from Christ, there is no way, there is no comfort, there is no joy, there is no hope. But in Christ, there is everything, there is hope. And, and this confronts us on one end. Well, it encourages us for sure, it encourages us that there is a way to know God. There is a way for our sins to be forgiven and blotted out. There is a way to go about life with the presence of God, knowing that, that if everything's taken away, we're still okay. But on the other hand, it convicts us, it kind of troubles us, because it makes us look at the cornerstones in our life, the foundations in our life that we trust in. And it confronts us to ask ourselves, are we really trusting in Jesus? Are we trusting in something else for our comfort, something else for our identity? What, if taken away in my life, would I not be able to go on? Whatever that is, that's your cornerstone. But when we have Jesus... Nothing can take away our security. Nothing can take away the favor that God has for us, even our very lives. So the key to boldness is not in your education or in your learning. It is into a deep abiding knowledge of God's love and grace for you, in spite of your record or character, that he loves you no matter what. Here's something else that you should do if you want to gain boldness and attractiveness in your message. Second, we should spend more time in communion with Jesus. Immediately after uh, Peter and James, or Peter and John speak, here is something amazing that is said. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John in verse 13, and perceived they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What a beautiful line in Scripture. What a beautiful verse. I love this line. When Peter and John talked, and when they acted, they were so much like Jesus that it was as if the presence of Jesus was right there in their life. These men who were looking and examining them maybe had not recognized them before, but as they spoke and as they acted and in the way that they spoke and acted, they remembered, I know where I know them. They've been with Jesus. They've spent time with Jesus. They're his followers. 
When people hear you talk, I got to go there. <laughs> when they hear you talk, particularly about your faith, do they think, this person knows Jesus? This person walks with him, talks with him. This person has a relationship with Jesus. The presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit must saturate our emotions, compel our attitudes, energize our actions, so that the world not only sees you, but it sees Christ. The way you go about your life will give evidence to what you spend your time thinking about and doing. Jesus cares more about your loving communion with Him than He cares about your ministry to others. He cares more about His relationship with you and you abiding in Him than He does about your spiritual activity in your life. We must spend time with Jesus. We must spend time in His Word, getting to know Him, reminding ourselves about what He has done for us. The Bible is like one of those, those sun tanning reflectors that became so popular in the 50s through the 80s. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you even had one of these. It's one of those reflectors that you, you, know, you fold out on your face and the sun hits it and reflects onto you and it gives you that really good tan, right? You've got the wrinkles to prove it, right? So it's, this is what the Bible is like. We open up God's Word and, and the light of Christ is reflected off of the scriptures and it brightens our face. It brightens our life. The light of Christ reflects off the word so that we reflect Jesus. We must spend time with him. We cannot rely on what we learned a year ago. We cannot rely on what our friends teach us merely. We interact with his word fresh each and every time that we come to it and it and Christ is projected into our entire lives do you want to know the the number one tool for sharing your faith with boldness I've been to a lot of evangelism classes I've been skillfully trained in how to share my faith and I never saw this on the list unfortunately the number one resource and tool that you and I have for learning how to proclaim our faith in boldness your first-hand experience with Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus. Your first-hand communion with Him as you walk about your life, knowing, loving, remembering, communing with Him. That is your primary and most important tool for sharing your faith. And the, the apostles were able to respond to opposition as they did because they were, they were walking with Jesus. We learned right before Peter opened his mouth, it said that he was filled with the Spirit. The, the fullness of, of the presence of Jesus and acknowledgement of that became clear in his heart and mind. He, he, he understood it. He was aware of the presence of God, and he walked with God in that moment. He walked with Jesus. When we are walking with Jesus, he becomes the focus of our lives. He becomes the focus of our conversations. And our encounters no longer is the focus of our conversation winning an argument or saying the right thing the focus just be it becomes being like jesus speaking like him and speaking the things that he said with confidence and with sincerity and conviction and compassion bearing fruit as a faithful witness requires us to to slow down enough in our life that we are giving jesus direct access to 
the full scope of our life. Let me ask you this question. How does the current pace of your life enhance or diminish your ability to allow God's will and presence full scope in your life? Are you too busy to spend more time with Jesus? You will not be a faithful witness. Are, are, you, are you too cluttered in your life? Are you too chaotic? Are, are things entangling your ability to get special time in, in, in the solitude with Jesus? Then you will not be a very good disciple or a maturing Christian. It just will not happen. Because it doesn't come from just an hour a week on Sunday. It doesn't come from, from hearing sound bites or listening to podcasts. It happens through this connected community with Jesus. How does the current pace of your life enhance your ability to do that, or how does it diminish your ability to do that? Do you meet with Him? Do you speak to Him? Do you listen to Jesus? The essence of what it means to be a, a Christian is to be in relationship with God, to be in relationship with Jesus. And after being imprisoned and threatened, they're commanded to stop proclaiming the gospel. This is a great time for them to say, okay, we got out this time. Jesus wasn't so fortunate. They gave him one shot and then they killed him. They're giving us a second chance. And maybe even, they even said something to this, to this nature of like, we're giving you a warning. Next time we won't be so kind. And they let them go. To which they replied, John and Peter said, well, you're going to have to be the judge of the right thing for us to do. You're going to have to judge if we should listen to you or listen to God. Because we can't help but talk about what we have seen and heard. Have you spent so much time with Jesus and, and heard things from him through his word and seen him do things in your own life and the life of others? Have you been a follower of Jesus in such a way that you can't help but talk about it? I'm not talking about an artificial zeal or an artificial, you know, energy that comes from just like being excited and talking about things like that. But have you been so much in the presence of Jesus that you could say what, what, he, what Peter and John are saying? We can't even help it. Like, they're actually saying it's literally impossible for us to not talk about it. That's what they're saying. Like, we're actually compelled by the power of God and our experience with God to do this. And so you're going to have to be the judge. Are we obeying God? Or are we disobeying you? Because you're telling us not to do it, but we can't help ourselves. The main reason we don't talk lovingly and boldly about Jesus is that not because we're lacking training, but that we lack firsthand experience. We lack that walking with Jesus. We lack love. We lack a love for Jesus, and we lack a love for neighbor. Lastly, what else should we spend more time doing? And here is this, we spend more time in adoration and awe and worship of God. It's through their worship that the disciples gained their main thing that they needed, which was joyful confidence. It's through their looking at Jesus and, and, and being adored and in, standing in awe of his greatness and what he was doing. When they were released from prison, we're told in chapter 4, they immediately went and they gathered with the church. They went to their their family and their friends and their, the new Christians that had gathered, and they began to praise God. And the first word that they utter as they gather together is the word despotes. And this is, it's translated as sovereign Lord in our passage. But it's more literally, it just means 
the one who owns it all. That's the first thing that they say together as they gather. And they say, the one who owns it all, the one to whom all, all, all things render praise and servanthood. Everything is yours. God, you're the owner of everything. All of creation is yours. And something stirred in their hearts that got them so excited. And we need to know what it is. Were they excited because they weren't killed? No. Were they excited because they got to meet all the famous people in Jerusalem? No. They were excited because they realized in a moment that God was in control of everything. And God was using them to bring about his good purpose in the world. And they were so pumped. They realized, how could it be if God is in control of everything and this just happened to us, then it means that God is desiring this to happen to us. God is with us. We can't lose. And so instead of praying for safety, and instead of praying for protection from future opposition and persecution and even death, you know what they pray for? We, we look for it. If you look further down in Acts chapter 4, they pray for more boldness and more opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Because they're saying, if God's in control of everything, and this has happened to us, then God, give us more. Give us more opportunity. Give us more boldness. Give us more zeal. Give us more fire in our belly to talk about these good news, this good news. Give us more clarity to say hard things and to say them with integrity. They realize that the same leaders who killed Christ now released them. Because everything is totally under God's control. They have nothing to worry about. Whether they're killed or persecuted, whether they're praised or hated, they have nothing to worry about. God is going to love and honor them. And they're going to triumph through it all. So the way that you handle attack and the way you handle opposition will expose what you truly worship and what you truly love. If you're too harsh or too cowardly, it's because you're controlling something that you don't believe Jesus can handle. There's a great deal of time spent reflecting on and praising God for his greatness and power. It means that we're not just to ask God to take away our worry, but we're to meditate and on and pray for his wisdom. It means that we should not just ask God for more confidence, but we should meditate on and pray for his grace we should not just ask God for more self-control, but we should meditate on and pray for his boldness. If you're having difficulty being a faithful witness, if you lack courage or opportunity or knowledge, then I want you to hear this. You don't need God to change your circumstances. You need him to change your heart. You need him to change what you ultimately care about. You're caring too much about the love of man and the fear of man, and you're caring too much about things that are way too important for you. You're caring too much about controlling your life and making sure that everything happens the way you want, and caring far too little about God who is in control of your life and who loves you, and nothing can take that away. We need to change what stirs our deep affections. What a convicting picture for us. Let it invite each of us. Is the love of Christ so compelling and so awe-inspiring in your life that it causes you to worship Him and adore Him? That you would say, as the apostles said, we can't not talk about it. The problem is with our heart. It's with our affections. 
The more you spend time immersed in sports, the more you spend time immersed in politics, the more you spend time immersed in your hobbies, it is those things you'll think about. And it is those things you'll talk about. If you binge on the 24-hour news cycle, you're going to have to talk about it when you meet somebody. I just got to talk about this. Can you believe this, this, and this? It's on your mind. You've been immersed in it. If you're immersed in your hobbies, you're going to tell people, hey, have you ever, have you ever done CrossFit? Right? You know what I've been thinking a lot about? You know, not eating meat anymore. Why are you telling me these things? Because I'm immersed in this. I'm immersed in these things, and I can't help but talk about it to you. And it just shows it's a reflection. It's a convicting reflection on how little we think about Jesus. If we fail to be a faithful witness, it just means that we're not spending time with Jesus. We're not immersing ourselves with Him. What about the courage of the gospel? What about your clarity with the things that matter most? You will not be bold to speak of Jesus unless you spend time with Him. Courage comes out of communion. So let's spend time with Christ. Let's spend time in awe of His greatness. Let's look at who He is and what He has done and be amazed that He would give us Himself. Would you pray with me?